0: Good morning. It's great to see you guys here today. If you've got a Bible, let's go to First Thessalonians chapter 4. Um, it's funny what you remember uh, from your childhood, you know, certain things just kind of stick with you. I, I remember I was, uh, I think, r- around five years old and uh, I was out to dinner with my parents and it was just the three of us and we were sitting in this booth and I couldn't help but notice the conversation that was happening in the booth and the table behind me. I know there's no nosy people in the room, you've never like dialed in on those conversations, but... As a five-year-old kid, I got sucked into this thing. And and I just remember the kid was like crying and complaining. The mom was like getting really heated and really angry. And, And so I literally stood up in my seat and I turned around to watch what was unfolding. I mean, I was just like watching a Netflix series. It was, it was intriguing, like the interaction, and he's crying. I don't even remember what he wanted, but I was just like, come on, mom, give him what he wants, you know, and she's all like and they're going back and forth, you know. And then all of a sudden she looks directly at me and she says, Would you mind your own business? And I was like, you know, kind of one of these things, and that was like my first social awareness lesson as a kid I'll never forget that. Um, and you know, the truth is we've all probably experienced the nosy kid in our life and even worse, some nosy adults in our life. These are people that are always kind of getting into your business, always kind of, you know, asserting themselves into places that you did not invite them to be in. These are people who thrive on the juicy gossip. <laughs> and so they're always talking about people and they always want to be in the know of what is going on. And they thrive on this. They, they ask personal questions and they ask you, you know, what you think about so and so because they want to talk about so and so and criticize so and so. And we experience that. And, you know, for the nosy person, social media is like the crack cocaine, right? They go to social media every day. And, and let's just face it. I mean, we, we follow people on Instagram or whatever because we want to know their business. We want to know what you are doing and we want to know how you were doing it. And then once we see it, we will take our precious time critiquing everything that you're doing. And that has become a habit over the last several years uh, for many people. It's why we watch reality TV shows. I'd much rather be sucked into the drama and the junk of your life than to actually think about my own, right? So we get sucked into that. And, and I think there's something just satisfying to our human nature to actually focus on other people's drama, because then we don't have to think about our own. And maybe nosiness is just human nature. Or maybe it's just a way for us to escape our own problems, Maybe it's a result of of living in a culture that has way too much leisure time and way too much access to other people's lives. But I think as long as I'm focused on other people's issues, I don't have to face my own. I don't think that's part of the draw because we would much rather think about someone else's problems than actually try to solve our own. I'd I'd much rather read about all the Hollywood drama going on so that I don't have to think about the drama in my own life. And so the biggest problem though, when it comes to nosiness is that it usually almost always leads to gossip and criticism and a judgmental attitude. And every time we lean into this, we stop being a learner and we quickly become a critic. So let me ask you, what about your own life today? As much as we think we know how to fix the world's problems, why are we as a country more unhealthy, more in debt, more divorced, more depressed than previous generations? Is it because we have failed to work on the one person that we can actually change? And that's ourselves, that's ourselves. Jesus actually taught us to do this. You are really familiar with this verse. He said one time, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Right. We're really bad about this. Right. We love to kind of look out, you know, the people in our life and notice all the dust in other people's eyes. We like to notice all the ways in which they're not living up to what they, their potential and they should be doing this and they shouldn't be doing that. And we love to critique and judge and criticize because it makes us feel better about ourselves. Meanwhile, we carry around these planks in our own eye, our own problems, our own issues. And the reason is because we don't like to look at the plank. We'd rather look for sawdust. We'd rather look at other people's issues than actually look our own. And so often, you know, we don't have the story behind the story. We don't know what's going on really in somebody's life. We didn't see the, uh, you know, what happened before the cameras started to roll, but that doesn't stop us from formulating our own opinion. We see, you know, a bit here and a bit there of the story. And that's really all we need to make a complete judgment of the fact that you're a terrible person and boom, bada bing. All the way down the line we go. Why? We don't want to look at the plank, the big problems that we face. We just want to look at the dust and other people's eyes. But what if, what if we begin to change this script? You know, I, I feel like oftentimes the places we're most critical are those that we are most uninformed. And so what would it, what, what would it look like for us to stop being uninformed about what's really going on in people's lives and looking at the dust in their lives. But actually we know what's going on in our life, like we're informed. And so what if we actually took the time to put all of that energy and all of that focus and all of those conversations and actually applied it to our own life? What if we focused on improving our own spiritual life and we stopped judging other people, we stopped getting into other people's business? Right. I mean, wouldn't that be incredible? I've heard and I think um, that if we were to do this, if we were to stop getting involved in other people's business, we'd solve half the problems that we brought into the room in general. We'd be more happy. We'd be more joyful. We'd be less stressed out. And here's the thing. Every single one of us expect other people to mind their own business. So the question is, why don't you? We're going to start a new series today. It's called Mind Mind. Your business, And I'm gonna challenge you in three uh, personal areas. These are probably the most personal, intimate areas of our life. It's going to be three weeks of plank removal, right? A lot of stepping on toes by the end of the series. You might be saying, Trent, mind your own business, bro. I'm tired of this series. Let's go to something else. But today we're gonna to talk about your work. Next week, we're gonna talk about your marriage. And week three, we're gonna talk about your money. All oh, great uh, topics and places that we all need to remove uh, some planks today. Um, as we start this series, you're, I also want to challenge you. I want to challenge you that, that you would actually cold turkey just make a commitment today that you're just going to quit. You're just going to 100% stop talking about other people. You're going to quit engaging in other people's business. You're going to stop. Uh, adding comments to the gossip and just step away from the criticism, step away from the judgmental conversations that are happening at work and everywhere else and just say, you know what? I'm gonna mind my own business. At work, they're gonna say, what's wrong with you? You're not talking. You're just kind of keeping to yourself and you're gonna say, I'm just minding my own business. (laughs) And it's gonna be a glorious three weeks for some of you to kind of unwind all the craziness that is stirring up in your heart Because maybe your tendency is to be involved in everybody else's business. So today we're going to talk about work. How do we work and why do we work? Uh, For that, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 9, is where I want to begin. Here's what Paul tells the, the, the church in Thessalonica. He says, Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business. (laughs) Y'all didn't even know that was in the Bible. You thought that was just good advice that grandma gave me. No, God's word says to mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. I love what this scripture is teaching us. And he starts off here by saying, do this more and more. And we're like, do more and more of what? And he started off by talking about brotherly love. And he, he says, I want you to have brotherly love. And he says, God's already taught you this. And you're, you are loving you know, your, your church family. This is great. But I, I want to encourage you to do this more and more. And the reason is because we have to continually be reminded to love each other. We have to continually be reminded that the foundation of our relationships in this world rests upon love for our brother and our sister. And so he calls us to do so more and more. You can't, you can't love someone enough. And so we grow that affection for one another. And as we grow that affection for one another, he's teaching us here and showing us here how we can work towards that love. So how do we, how do we love someone better? How do we, instead of you know, gossip about them and criticize them, how do we show them love? He says, I want you to work on love and here's how you do it. The first thing he says is to work on living a quiet life. I want you to live a quiet life, Right? That doesn't mean that we're to uh, stay silent and not talk about anything. That's not what he means. He's not saying that we don't talk about our faith. He's not saying that you know, we don't you know, try to solve the social issues in our culture. No, he wants us to do so and fight in those areas. And yet as we engage culture, he wants our actions to be consistent with the teachings of Jesus. And so what that means is we don't speak inappropriately. What that means is we're not engaging in gossip and criticism of other people's business. It means that we're not starting the drama. We're not not starting the fires at work. We don't get upset, you know, as everybody else does. We stay calm. We live a quiet, humble life before them, right? It means you don't sweat the small stuff because most of life is small stuff. It means that we live this peaceful life, a quiet life of of peacefulness. It means you're minding your own business. You're staying out of other people's business. In fact, verse 11 tells us to do so. He says, mind your business. So the first thing is work on living a quiet life. And to mind your business simply means that now you're called to work on you. Work on living a quiet life, not getting all loud and and abrasive and, you know, you're not, you know, somebody that has to be heard all the time and you're always floating your opinion to everybody and you're super opinionated and everybody's like, oh gosh, here he comes again, right? We're not living that, we're living the quiet life, right? And, and, and now he says, mind your business, which means work on you. Remove the plank that is in your own eye. Continually work on you, right? Minding your business will likely eliminate half of your problems. And so obviously your family, your job, your money, that is your business, right? You got to manage those things well, but stay out of situations that aren't your business. And so that simply means resist the urge to gossip. Resist the urge to pass judgment on someone because you think you know the story when only you know a piece of it. Resist the urge to pick up social media and, and just zone out for hours. And in the meantime, getting frustrated and jealous and envious of other people and then sparking conversations about, did you see what they did? Did you see what she was wearing? Oh, my gosh. Right. Mind your own business. <laughs> you, 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 you just stay out off of social media, I think maybe this is a, a call to fast from social media from some of you because you are, so, uh, you, you are so in other people's business that you can't even live your own life. He says, I want you to focus on yourself and you gotta stay and keep your mind on your own business. And then he says in verse 11 to work with your hands, right? So what, what he is teaching us here is that, yeah, we gotta work on you. And by the way, you, you, you gotta realize that work is God's plan. So work with your hands. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're supposed to or have to work with your hands like physical labor. You might have an awesome job, uh, uh, an office job, a desk job, whatever, that's fine. The point is that work is God's plan. You were meant to go to work. You were meant to work, whether that's working in your home, you know, taking care of your family or working in a work environment uh, that is an office environment or whatever it is you're doing, you are employed And you are working because this is what God has called us to do. I think the point is not that we all have to do manual labor. The point is that as Christians, we're called to work, right? And so I think if you spent more time working and less time criticizing things that have nothing to do with your own business, you would be less stressed. Uh, Obviously, God's plan is for us to work. In Genesis 1, God creates man in his own image, and he creates Adam and Eve. And he said to them, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over it. See, God is a worker and we're created in his image. Therefore, we are created to work. And in fact, it tells us in God's word that, that we're to work. And this isn't a result of, of sin. Some people mistake that. They think, oh, sin entered the world and then we had to get a job and we, now we have to work. No, in fact, work isn't a part of the curse. God gave man a job to do before Sin entered the world. Back in the Garden of Eden, the first chapter says, uh, God says, I want you to go out and rule the earth. And the second chapter, he says, I want you to tend the garden. So the first job was to be a gardener, to be a landscaper, right? And so Adam was called to that employment. That was his job and he was to enjoy that. And work isn't supposed to be this, this drudgery, right? That we hate. Now, because of sin, that layer, now is upon our work because there does feel like a toilsome, like meaninglessness to life. That's a result of sin. But at the same time as followers of Christ, we can joyfully work with all of our heart and work hard as we are working into the Lord, right? And so I think this is part of God's plan for us. And here's why I think he makes this comment in this setting, in this context here. I think the reality is that people who don't work have a lot of extra time. And a lot of that extra time leads to a lot more social media and a lot more busybodiness and a lot more gossip and a lot more getting up into other people's business. And I think he's calling us to be aware of that. In fact, in the second letter he writes to the Thessalonians in chapter three, he says, we hear that some among you walk in idleness. You're not working hard. You're not staying busy. You're idle, right? You don't have enough to do. You've got too much leisure time on your hands. You're not busy at work, but you're a busy body stirring up fires here, stirring up drama here, talking about this person there, judging this person here. He's like, get a job, go to work, you know, fill your time appropriately. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work. Again, the the point here is quietly, go to work and work hard and to earn their own living. I think the idea here is, yes, work is a part of God's plan for our lives. And we are, when we're not following God's plan for our lives, it can put us in a tailspin that leads us to be busybodies up in everybody's business. And he says, don't do it. It's not what you're called to do. It's not your business. Focus on your life and your planks and what God is calling you to do. Verse 12, he says, work so that you're not dependent on anyone. In fact, Here in in 2 Thessalonians, he's saying, earn your own living. So the same point applies. I think he's teaching us that work supplies for your needs. Obviously, right? We work as a part of that work. We are able to supply for the needs of ourselves and our families. This is a good thing. This is how God designed work. We work hard. We get paid for that work. The Bible says those who don't work, if a man will not work, he should not eat. So understanding also that there are sometimes unforeseen disabilities that people uh, experience. And so they need assistance for whatever reasons. And as followers of Christ, we support that and want to help those who are unable to work. But if you are physically and mentally able, as a follower of Jesus, get a job, work hard, right? We live in a, a culture today that's gone through a huge mess over the last couple of years. As a result, the economy has been impacted and we all feel that impact. And so what we are called to do though, as followers of Christ is get a job. Like we, we can't just sit around and say, this isn't the perfect job, so I'm gonna keep waiting, I'm gonna keep taking money from the government. No, we work while we are searching for work and, and we keep working and we do what we know we're supposed to do while we are looking for something else. And so we work because we want to supply for our needs. And and that's a a basic principle in the word of God. If you're not working, he says, you shouldn't eat. In fact, in 1 Timothy 5.8, it says, if anybody does not provide for his relatives, especially his immediate family, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So if we're not willing to work, these are pretty strong words. He says, "You're, you're worse than an unbeliever. So, So there are many jobs out there. We as a church obviously need to make sure that we're doing our part, right? We're doing the part that God has called us to do. In verse 12, he goes into the motivation for our work. And he clearly says this is to win the respect of outsiders. So when we're working hard, we can win the respect of outsiders. So number five, if you're taking notes, work is my example to others. And so as I work and I do, the, do it the way that God has called me to, and I'm not a busybody, and I'm not starting fires, and I'm not, you know, uh, causing drama here and talking about this person. And I'm I'm living that quiet life, doing the, the things that are honorable for the people on my team. I'm setting an example to them, primarily yes, to believers, but also to those who would be unbelievers. And so the motivation there is to win their Respect. And so, anytime when we're working hard, diligently in the community, those who are unbelievers uh, see that we're, you know, contributing to our culture and it wins their respect. And he wants the church to be respected in the city. And so, let me ask you this what are you known for at work? How do people view you at work? Are you known as the one that always has the T, so as the kids say, on other people? You, that, that means the gossip, uh, older folks. Do you know, like, are you the one that kind of shares it? Are you the one people come to? Did you hear? Or are, are you the one that is bringing life into the environment? Jesus calls us to be the salt and the light of our community. You know, our work environment is one of the primary ways outside of our homes that God has created us to impact for his kingdom, for his glory. And so this is one of the most strategic areas of our entire life to be able to help people come to faith and know who Jesus actually is. What are you known for at work? Are you setting a good example? I think for many of us, we lose sight of this reality that the way you live your life at work actually gives credibility to your witness, gives credibility to your witness. So your presence at work Shouldn't drain people. If you walk into the room and everybody goes, oh my gosh, I got to get away from this person. We got problems. We got issues, right? You should be uplifting to other people. You should be encouraging to other people. You should be generous with your words, right? You shouldn't just be someone that sucks the life out of other people. These energy vampires in our life are all around us. As Christians, that's not who we are. We're to set a good example, Your workplace is the most strategic place that God has placed you to be a light into this world and salt on this uh, community. He put you there for a reason. He put you around these people for a reason to influence them to Christ. Uh, Statistics say that we spend 40% of our waking hours at work. What an amazing platform God has given to us to advance the kingdom of God. To, to, to actually to serve other people with our attitude, with our example, with our words. Um, so there's two extremes here. We've got, we've got those who don't understand why we work or what work is for. Oh, I didn't know... You know, I was meant to do this and this is a biblical thing. And oh yeah, I take care of my family. Okay, so we've got this group that might be a little idle. They're not working you know, hard enough and they need to get it into gear. And then there's another group of people on the other side who like you, your primary like role in life is your job. Like that's all you think about. That's all you really do. And so we would call you, our culture would call you a workaholic, right? So let's talk to the workaholics. And everybody's like, Can we go back to the lazy people for a minute? I like talking about them. Let me give you a little test here to see where you land on the issue. I'm gonna give you a set of 10 questions. If you answer yes to these questions, you might be a workaholic. You ready to take the test? Here we go. Are you always in a hurry? That's a good question. Number two, does your to-do list always have more on it than you could possibly accomplish in a single day? Ma'am, why are you elbowing your husband? That's, we don't, you're not the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Number three, does doing nothing drive you up the wall? (laughs) Some of you are like, oh, that one's me. I can't, as a matter of fact, Trent, could you hurry? No, number four, do you find it difficult to say no to opportunities? Ah, you're saying yes to everybody, why? Every opportunity you gotta say yes, people pleasing, keeping your plate full. Number five, do you feel guilty when you relax? You can't even relax at home. You always got to be doing something and moving something. No, that doesn't look good. Let me put that. Well, let me just put it back here. And you're just, mm-mm, number six, do you frequently find it difficult to turn your mind off at night when you go to bed? Just spinning and spinning and spinning. And so you got to turn on like a really boring TV show to like zone in so that you can fall asleep. Number seven, do people around you tell you you ought to slow down? It's a biggie. If, if somebody's telling you you got to slow down, that's, that was a good one. Number eight, do you procrastinate about taking a vacation? Number nine, do you have to get sick in order to slow down? And then finally, bro, if you're taking your laptop to the toilet, <laughs> you got real issues. And if you buy one of the toilet paper holders for your phone little deal that's out now, you probably got issues too. I'm just telling you, right? So how are you doing on that list? How'd you do? All right, we got the folks who need to get into gear and work harder, and then we got those of you who are overworking at work and underworking at home, right? And so uh, I love to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes if you have your Bibles, turned there, because in chapter four, we see the wisest man of all time give us the clarity and the insight to how we should live our lives. We don't want to get on the path that leads to destruction. We want to get on a path that leads to life. And here's what he says in verse four of chapter four. He says, I saw that all the toil, toil is work. So all the work and all the skill in work, right? All the skills that we develop to be better at our job comes from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and the striving after the wind. Striving after the wind simply means you can't catch it. You're trying to find acceptance and happiness and joy. But he's saying, he gives this list in the entire book. It's one of my, it, it is my favorite book in the Bible. Um, and, and, and what he's saying is you're striving after all of these things, but you're never gonna catch it that way because everything is meaningless outside of Jesus. And here particularly, he's saying that your work and your, your, your drive to get better at your job to improve doesn't come from a healthy motivation to serve God and to honor him. It comes from your envy of what your neighbor has. And so if we're waking up in the morning driven by the fact that we need more because I want what so-and-so has and and I wanna get what they have so that I can, I I think at that point, then I'll feel happier. I feel like I'm finally providing. He says, it's toil, you're chasing after the wind, it will not work, it will never work. He calls this uh, what I've read to be competitive envy. There's this competitiveness in us to see what those other people have and to run and to chase after uh, harder work, extra hours, longer hours, instead of working for the glory of God and, and, the, and the God-given labor that he's given to us. And, 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 and instead of that motivating us to wake up and go to work, we're actually motivated because we want to get more stuff. And in some cases we've overspent. And so our credit card is, is maxed out. And so now our motivation to work is, is, is I'm a slave to Visa. I've got to go to work because I have this MasterCard to pay off. And now I've lost sight of the motivation that brings the, the joy of genuine God-given labor and work. I'm not going to work seeing that I'm working for God and I'm supplying for the needs of my family. I'm going to work because I've got all of these bills that i got to pay. And Solomon would say, that is going to stress you out. That is toil. That is chasing after the wind and instead of loving our neighbor as Christ has called us to and brotherly affectionate love growing it's not love thy neighbor it's step on thy neighbor's neck so that I can get ahead and that's the mentality we often take in our culture so what does that mean how do we dial that back does that mean that okay maybe maybe we just stop working right Maybe I want to go to the four hour work week, right? Let's read that book and let's just stop working, right? That way I have more leisure time to be a busybody and gossip, Oop, that's not it. No, I'm not trying to get to a place where I'm only working three hours and then I'm just kicking my feet up at the beach. That's not the labor that God has called us to. Here's what Solomon says, because immediately we might go to that. Okay, stop working so much. It's not necessarily the answer. He says the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. That sounds kind of gross. You ever seen somebody gnaw on their fingernails? Yeah, that's a gross habit, right? Maybe somebody like gnawing on their knuckles or something. (laughs) He's like, when you fold your hands, right, that's literally the sign that I'm about to take a nap. Step out, (laughs) right? You're getting a lazy boy today. You're going to watch the NFL game. You're going to see the Bengals uh, get destroyed. Unfortunately, even though I'm going to root for them, um, they've broken my heart since 1988. But anyway... We're talking about this. When you fold your hands, right? That's the international sign of I'm about to go to sleep. And what Solomon is saying is that's, that's you saying, you know, you're not working, you're being lazy. You got too much flex time. You got too much hangout time, right? And so you're gonna fold your hands. And he says, that, that's like eating your own flesh. In other words, you're destroying yourself. You're, you're hurting yourself when this happens. Now. We could preach a whole sermon on the Sabbath and you got to rest. And I, I get all that, right? But but for the purpose of what we're talking about today is he's saying that oftentimes we are uh, much about folding our hands and not working. And he says, that's not the answer, right? That's not the answer at all. So what is the balance? Verse six is the money verse, right? This is why we're here today, okay? Pay attention to verse six. Don't miss this. He says it's Better is a handful of quietness, often translated rest, than two handful of toil and striving after the wind. So he's speaking to the the balancing act that we have to discover and we have to figure out in our life. And everybody's capacity and energy level is different. And so again, we don't look at the dust in other people's eyes and we say, oh, they work too much. Look at all the stuff they have. And man, they just need to slow down. They're probably workaholics. No. We look at our own life because my capacity is different from your capacity. You might be able to work circles around me and still feel energized and you have a better marriage and you're a better parent than me. Great, right? I've got to think about myself and Solomon's advice here is picture it like this. You can can be somebody who has, you know, one hand in work and he is working his tail off and he's going after it and he's diligent and he's disciplined and he's living that, that, that life of, of, of quietness, staying out of other people's business and just getting after it. And then that allows you to have this other hand that is, that is experiencing the rest and that is experiencing the quietness of life, which means now you have time to serve God in his church. Now you have time to go on a date night. Now you have time to date your kids and, and have a relationship with them. And he says, this is the act, right? That you've got to determine. And every, life is in rhythms, right? So sometimes you're busier than others. So it's not, a, you know, everybody's life and schedule is different. But are you in a healthy rhythm to where you're seeing this? Because here's what Solomon says. A lot of us do this. And then we cup our hands like this. And so now we have two hands fully engaged in our career. And we're running after our career. And that's the only thing we care about. And we got to have more and we got to get this. We got to get that. And I don't have any extra hands to help you. My hands are tied up. I don't have any hands to, to go out to dinner with you, honey. I don't have any hands to, you know, do anything outside of, 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 of my career, kids. I'm sorry. I'm doing this for you. I'm providing all this for you, it makes me feel better, but it, it doesn't change the fact that I'm carrying the weight of the world in my hands. And he says, it's like chasing after the wind. You're not gonna catch what you're hoping to catch. And it's like, we just, we just live our lives like, you know, we're the ones that have spun the world into motion. And if I don't show up, man, the whole thing will fall apart. Like I'm the glue, you don't get it, Trent. Like at work, I'm like the one that gets it done and I'm the one that without me, everything would fall apart. So I have to do that. Really? Really? Are you that arrogant? What Solomon is calling us to is a life of balance, a life that would would understand what it looks like to live our lives full of hard work, yes, but not with two greedy hands cupped to gain everything that we can get so that we're overextended, worn out, tired and unhappy. Yes, work hard, don't fold your hands. With one hand, you can work for the glory of God and with the other hand, you can experience the quietness of serving Him and loving Him and leading your family. Right, if I've got two hands into the world and two hands into my career and I'm so wrapped up into this, then, then I, I, I'm physically unable to spend the time necessary with those that are close to me. And even financially, like if all of this is for me and if all of this is, is for my glory, then, then my, my resources are tied up. I can't even bless other people and do what God has called me to do financially. We can do so much more If we just follow God's plan, instead of overworking, you can mind your business. In other words, think about your career and your business and how you're leading it. You can think about how you're doing your job. Instead of being critical and gossiping about what other people are doing, what if you focused your heart and focused your life on doing what God has called you to do? He tells us that we overwork because of envy and greed. And then he tells us the result of all of this working. So, It gets better. Verse eight, again, he says, I saw vanity under the sun. He's reflecting on life. One person who has no other, he's alone. Either son or brother. Yet there is no end to all of his toil. He doesn't stop working. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches. He's never satisfied with the money that he gains. So that he never asks the most important question that you'll ever ask Which is for whom am I working? Who am I working? And why am I depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. (laughs) Some of you have an unhappy business right now. You know, maybe you thought you were going to get out of the nine to five office work to start your own business, and you realize now you work every stinking hour of the week. (laughs) He says, I saw vanity. One person who has no other, he's lonely. So this person doesn't have anyone in their life. He doesn't have a son or a brother. What that means, he doesn't have anyone to pass on his inheritance to. And in this culture, that was a tragedy beyond all tragedies. And even today, we would say it's a tragedy. If we don't have someone to uh, pass on some of the things that we have gained here, we want to leave an inheritance. This is a a good thing to do, but he's saying this person is alone. Doesn't have anybody to do that, right? Right? And why doesn't he? Because there was no end to his work. He never stopped. She never stopped. Just always needed more, always needed the next deal and had to close it and had to move on to the next thing. Why? Because they were never satisfied with their riches. They were never content. Always have to have more. And so some of you would say, well, it's not me because I'm still married. And I mean, for the most part, my kids are, are, are good. But here's the thing. It's a warning. It's not descriptive of your life, necessarily. It's a warning of the path that you might be on. If we're on the path of riches never satisfying, if we're on the path that there is no end to our work, we're a workaholic, he's saying you're on the path. And one day you might wake up and your wife is gone. One day you might wake up and your kids aren't around. Maybe they're still like, Alive, yeah, but they don't want anything to do with you because you've spent your whole life grinding and grinding and gaining and gaining and getting. And Solomon would say, you are depriving yourself of pleasure. And some of you are like, whoa, no, riches equal pleasure. And the wisdom of God's word says, you've got it all wrong. Money can be fun, sure. We we can do some great things, but it can also blind you to the true pleasures that God wants you to experience. And there is nothing, nothing married people that is more pleasurable in life than to have a marriage that honors God and that you truly enjoy each other's company. Uh, As my kids are getting older, there is nothing more pleasurable than seeing them make wise decisions. Sure, I'm a sinner, I married a sinner. We had a bunch of little sinners that run around and they're still sinning everywhere in the community today. Don't judge me when you see them out there because I promise you they are doing it. But as they get older, the good things that I do see, I'm like, okay, whew, that, that's what I'm talking about, right? That's what I'm talking about. See, Solomon has the wisdom that we need today. And, and we've got to recognize the potential path that each of us are on. And in verse eight, he is asking this question, for whom am I toiling? Who am I working for? The most important question you'll ever ask yourself is why are you doing this? Is it for the MasterCard? Is it so that you can have all this stuff? Or is it a biblical reason Paul says in Colossians, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Wake up tomorrow to work for Jesus. Not your boss, not your teachers, not for grades, right? Not for raises, not for stuff. You do it to work for the Lord. And that is the motivation and that is the, that is the effort and that is the focus that we move ourselves to. It's not just simply to prove that we're good enough. It's not just simply for the money. No, he tells us, work for the Lord and everything that you do, keep him as the focus and the primary motivation for why you are doing anything and everything. And to me, that's where we want to be over the next couple of weeks. I mean, the reality is, work, money, and marriage are really at the epicenter of most of your problems, if not all of them. And if we're gonna continue to try to blow dust out of everybody else's eyes and ignore the planks that are in our eyes, we're not gonna live a life of pleasure. We're not gonna enjoy our life. We're gonna get caught up in the grind of our culture. And as Solomon says, we're gonna chase after the wind. And I think every single one of us, if you will, just commit, just say, listen, I want to be mindful of it this week. Mind my own business. I'm going to work as unto the Lord. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want my life to look like this with work. I want my life to look more like this, where there's balance, right? And I'm finding where God wants me to be. And some of you may be going through kind of financial seasons of your life. That's why you're going to work because you've got all these bills and things. And I want to encourage you, this financial peace class that we do, we do it every year, but this year having the online and a couple in person, super helpful with your busy schedule, I know. And sometimes this gets a, a bad rap. I, I don't agree. You know, we don't have to agree with everything. You know, Ranji says about everything. You know, that's not, be a learner. Don't be a critic, right? That's what I, I hope to do. And so, so there are some great things in there. And it's not just, hey, I'm in debt. How do I get out of debt? A lot of, a lot of people just feel like that. It's not just that. Once you get through the first half, then he talks about how to build wealth. You think, like, oh, well, that sounds bad. Why Why we want to build wealth? Well, we want to build wealth to honor God and then to use those resources to build the kingdom of God. God doesn't, <laughs> like, this is, this is a, a, a silliness to think that God just wants us to, you know, live a poor life our, our, our whole life. It's fine, like, if that's where we're at, but, like, He wants us to grow. For some of you, it's your marriage, and I would say my marriage always needs help, and so date night coming up this week. I hope you'll join us and, Maybe you're great, but I'm sure you've got a friend whose marriage isn't great and I would encourage you to bring them and and let's start moving in this direction of where we're minding our own business and removing the planks that are in our eyes. Let's bow together and pray. Father, there are some folks in the room who probably needed to hear that they need to work harder because they're kind of folding their hands in life and not really getting it done And, and it has led to a lot of idleness and it has led to wasting time on social media or video games or just being bored. And it's not what you want for them, God. There's so much more for them to gain and enjoy. Others are on the opposite side. God, they're working way too much and there's little to no room for their family. There's little to no room for you. And so God, I pray today and over the next couple of weeks as we dial in and focus on this, that you would just be mindful of our conversations. Help us to be mindful of our conversations. Speak to our hearts, God, that we, would, that we would not seek to be the one who is up in everybody's business and stirring things up or have to be in the know, but God, that we are just, we're gonna dial in on ourselves. We're gonna mind our own business and focus on our hearts and what areas of our hearts need to be healed, where sin needs to be confessed, where we need to create room for you because our busy life has kind of moved you out of the way. And that's not where we wanna be, God. We wanna create space. We wanna create room for you to work. So work in our hearts, move us, change us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.